Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for Common Sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Standing for truth, justice, and the American way. Bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Well, here we are on an early start today. Uh, and uh, here reporting from the Daily Planet building, we have... Judge Richard Weinberg, uh, Ed Cox, New York State Chairman, and Governor, uh, it looks like uh, Governor Patterson. No, I'm Andrew Cuomo. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good, yeah. Gov. You're really I'm good. You, he could run a comedy routine. He could, a one-man show. <laughs> Joining us today with me and John Casmentides and Rita Cosby. Uh, and uh, we have uh, our... Uh, what was it? Bo Schnurdley is on vacation. Yes, he is on a vacation. So today, today and tomorrow, we're going to be on from 4.30 to 6. It's called and Cats and Cosby Squared. Yeah. That's what it's called. Double. You're never and, enough. Uh, never enough. We're going to be on from, four to four, from 3 to 4.30. So we're covering the vacation that way. And we have some great show for you today. And uh, uh, there's so many things going on, guys. I mean, uh, where do we even start? By the way, Ed, Ed Cox, you just recently had a, a meeting with Tony Blinken. I want to hear well, about this. Meeting. It was a big meeting at the Council of Foreign Relations. It's on the record. And I asked the last question, was basically about Russia and China. It's supposed to be a very solid relationship, according. But historically, they're antagonistic. Now, they've taken territory from each other over the years. And the bottom line was, in response to my question, uh, what about the future of that relationship and how can the administration impact it? He went to talking about negotiations. China can be useful in negotiations between uh, between uh, Russia and uh, the West with respect to Ukraine, which is taking it down to a very basic level, not looking at the, the big picture. And that is that if Ukraine really defeats uh, Putin and Putinism, then there's a that breaks up that relationship. Well, I'm trying. We're trying to find out. I mean, you got you know important stuff. I got other stuff. I got five sharks at tanks. Oh my gosh! In Long Island this weekend, in the Fourth of July weekend, and I was calling Anthony Weiner and. Because, you know, he's an expert in sharks. Yeah, Sharknado. Uh, because Sharknado, <laughs> the sharks did not eat him. But they just took little bites. No, they, bites. They, they didn't eat him at all. He I survived Sharknado. Right. So, so he's an expert on surviving a shark attack. He's an expert on surviving and in I general. Gotta, I got to find out from, uh, from Anthony Weiner why, uh, the, the, why the sharks all of a sudden are attacking. He's an expert, so we got to find out. By the way, we also have John Solomon right now, John, who's coming on to talk about some big breaking news. Take away. Breaking news, WABC. And joining us now here on the special edition of Cats and Cosby, we have John Solomon, the founder of Just the News. John, what do you got? Lots of stuff happening. Oh, my goodness. Where to start? Uh, probably the thing that just happened a few moments ago. It's lighting up uh, our traffic right now. 
Uh, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, long a conservative firebrand and ally of Donald Trump, has been uh, jettisoned, ousted from the uh, Conservative Freedom Caucus. That is a big uh, moment. What it was, does that whoa. mean? Yeah, why? What does that mean? She was a solid member of it. What she happened? sure was. She sure was. Uh, well, the House Freedom Caucus seems to have some suspicion that she's been too friendly with Kevin McCarthy, too willing to make deals and compromises. And oh, so, my God. That's uh, true. Yeah. She backed and, McCarthy in the election that's, that's for citizenship exactly right from the start. That's a sin? That's, that's right. She was there yeah. for him. And that's yep. a sin? You know, ironically. Common, common sense is a sin. Ironically, if that happened, I would have thought it would have been something she did going in the other direction. In other words, yeah. going very far right. But the fact that yeah. she cooperates with the uh, Speaker of the House, I don't. Did you say collaborate or Cooperates. <laughs> oh, and she also well, had, a she had a fight. Fluid, Maybe that's why they threw her out. And she had a fight recently, didn't she, with like uh, Laura uh, with Laura Bobert, right? With Lauren Bobert. Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. Good point. Was, uh, Good Dan point. Bishop, uh, very upset with her, one of the longer term members of the uh, Conservative Caucus. This news was announced by one of the members. We haven't been able to get to Marjorie Taylor Greene, but Congressman Andy Harris of Maryland, one of the longtime members, said that the vote was taken and uh, she was removed. Uh, from the caucus uh, today. And so that's a big, uh, a big moment and a, a sign that the Republican Party is struggling within that, that beyond the struggles it has with the Democratic Party and Joe Biden. There are some uh, unrest about how much they have and haven't done the uh, any prior speaker will tell you that the House Freedom Caucus has always been a thorn in the side of a Republican speaker. I'm sure John Boehner or uh, Paul Ryan will be glad to attest to that, but we'll see what happens. A very important, big moment today, and what we'll just have to see. Ed Cox, you're, you're chairman of New York uh, GOP, and uh, you're a respected member of the Republican Party nationwide. Is there that much hate? No, it's not. It, it's not hate. It's just people have their own agendas, and uh, they got elected for those agendas, and they're going to be pushing that. The speaker is the speaker from Bakersfield, not California. Bakersfield. Bakersfield is different. I was there in 1972 campaigning, and it was rodeos and roughnecks. Hey, by the way, discovered oil. I was the main host there at KERO exactly. in Bakersfield, right out of college. And he's a product of he is tough, he is patient, and that's why he's been able to succeed so far with such a narrow majority. You know, I'm John Solomon too. You have so many other big scoops. I want to get uh, the latest on all this cocaine at the White House too. Uh, you talk to um, our friend Mark Morgan. Right, I think, and and Absolutely. give us the fill-in because it's like today the White House is like, well, we'll kind of get to it. It's, uh, not, it's nothing to I sniff mean, at. Yeah, nothing to sniff at. Uh, they're trying to blow it over. <laughs> How's that for a good a good verb? I'm oh. trying to come up with it all. <laughs> I won't even try to compete with that. I don't know what to say. No, uh, listen. I, there is very clear. This is not a hard crime to solve. And it is a crime, by the way. Bringing an illegal substance into a federal building is a crime, according to prosecutors. Uh, there's going to be video footage at every corner of the White House. There's going to be fingerprints, most likely, on the baggie or on the cell phone case next to the baggie where it was found. It doesn't seem to me that this is a hard case to solve, nor does it to all the federal law enforcement officials. We talked to several of them, a former FBI agents, a former assistant director of the FBI, Mark Morgan, who was an assistant director of the FBI and then head of the Customs Border Protection Agency. Listen, this is not hard to solve. It really is a question, does the administration have the will to solve it, particularly if it's someone 
that was authorized and brought into the White House. Now, the entrance where this occurred at is where most official guests of the Oval Office enter, but it's not where family members go. I know a lot of people early on were wondering, oh, is, uh, is there a problem with Hunter Biden? Hunter Biden would come to a different interest in most circumstances. We don't think he is, you know, could be involved in this. It's not the entrance he would come to. But official guests, uh, uh, staff coming into an Oval Office meeting, uh, very possible. And that could create a black eye for an administration that's already dealing with other things that happened on the White House grounds. Uh, we had a um, uh, breast exposed at a recent White House event that caused a lot of controversy. And I think there's a real concern about the decorum of the Biden White House. And this probably adds to that. A lot of slow walking of the explanations and information, but it shouldn't be hard to solve. By the way, I love how you described the breast exposed. Uh, it wasn't like a Janet Jackson Super Bowl moment. It was That's like right. a, it was like a, oh my goodness. Remember when they did that? You know what, you know what's amazing? The White House though, I was watching Corinne Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, and she, they were asking, obviously, tons of questions, saying, what well, boy, what if it was anthrax? They had to evacuate the White House. I mean, serious stuff. Are you going to arrest somebody? Are you going to do a new policy? And they're like, well, we're kind of leaving them to see. They don't seem that concerned. I, I mean, which is really uh, perplexing. Well, if you're allowing violent offenders out in many cities in America, which is a Democratic Party uh, party agenda now item, if you're uh, willing to censor speech and then appeal a ruling when censorship is called out by a federal judge, I guess uh, having cocaine come onto the president isn't that surprising or that showering to to the overall agenda. They have a very different agenda than Republicans and conservatives right now. And I think Americans are getting a taste of where the two parties stand. They'll be able to make a very clear choice in 2024. Big moment next week. I want to put. I want to lean into next week early because I do think this is going to be big. Chris Ray is going to come back before Congress uh, another time. Uh, the, it will be the most intense of uh, questioning he's faced probably since he's been FBI director. The recent revelations by the FISA Corp, the recent revelations by John Durham, other things that have come out about the FBI. He's going to get a lot more difficult questions. And yesterday I had an opportunity to interview one of the more famous agents of the last half century of the FBI, a guy named Scott Nelson, rose to the leadership of the FBI, but also decorated, won one of the largest or most important valor awards in the FBI, respected across multiple generations of FBI agents. And he said he doesn't think that Chris Ray is the right guy for the right job. This is an insider, highly respected, calling into question Chris Ray's ability to lead. He said that Chris Ray is leading from the middle, and you can't lead when you're in the middle of the pack. you got to be out front leading. He also had a very strong repudiation of the FBI, saying the way the Hunter Biden, Joe Biden investigation has been handled only creates a black eye for the FBI because so much politics is obvious. Now, it's obvious that Hunter Biden was undercharged. It's obvious that the allegations about Joe Biden were slow walked. If they're still investigating him six years later, something's wrong with the FBI. This is an insider that carries a lot of sway with rank and file, not only retirees, but current um, FBI agents, uh, a sign of maybe what lies ahead for Chris Ray in the next few months. You know, I want to ask you, too, about uh, James Comer, who we had here on the show on Cats and Cosby, uh, who was great when he was in studio with us. He's been teasing he has some new disturbing findings in the Hunter Biden investigation and Joe Biden investigation. Uh, what What are you hearing that he's got? I mean, he was telling us that he thinks he's going to get maybe access to more bank records, some other things. It sounds like he's teasing he's got something coming up maybe next week. Yeah, I think we should keep an eye out for a new whistleblower. 
<clears throat> goes back much earlier in the process, like November of 2016. I think there's a whistleblower that brought information to the Securities and Exchange Commission back in November of 2016, right around the time Donald Trump was securing the presidency. Uh, that will wind back how much earlier the government may have knew there, known there were problems with the Biden, Hunter Biden family. It could also expand the number of suspicious activity reports that Congress can see. Congress has seen 2017 forward, but some of the earlier ones aren't kept. But th this whistleblower may have preserved earlier suspicious activity reports that take us back to 2013. And I heard in the interview with you, which, by the way, was really good. We wrote a story about it at Just the News. Um, the idea that maybe the total amount of money to the Biden family is larger than we've been talking about. I think that's going to be another piece of the puzzle. And then finally, another person I think is going to emerge as a key witness. I think they're very close to being able to secure an interview with Devin Archer, the right-hand business partner of Hunter Biden during the heyday years of when the Biden family was really chasing foreign money big time. Uh, if an insider in the Biden family turns like Devin Archer and a new whistleblower comes back and brings us back to earlier times, 2013, 2014, those would be significant developments. And I'm pretty sure that's where James Comer's headed. And uh, we have uh, John Solomon here of Just the News. Uh, Judge Weinberg, you had a quick question yes. here for him. John, when you're talking to members of the, the House and the Senate and you're walking around the Capitol and you're talking to the Democrats, what do they really say about the situation? Aren't they embarrassed? Don't they realize there's a political and public relations problem besides the, the legal problems that the Biden family may have? And how do they extricate themselves from this? It's a great question. A lot of the rank and file, particularly the progressive, don't see anything wrong. They're they're still singing in Whistling Dixie. They're very happy and they think that it's all going to be about the economy. If the economy is good, Joe Biden's going to do great. If the economy is bad, uh, Joe Biden could be in trouble, a la Jimmy Carter. Those in swing districts, those who are in moderate swing districts, what we used to call blue dog Democrats or NDN Democrats, they are, Judge, a lot more concerned about the accumulation of issues, starting with the growing polling numbers that people think Joe Biden is now showing himself to be too old to hold the job. That concerns them a lot. They're very concerned about the economy, and they have a lot of greater sensitivity to the perception that the Biden family was cashing, at the very least, clearly cashing in on the Biden family name with countries that probably we shouldn't be making profits from, China, Russia, Ukraine, uh, Romania. So uh, if you're in a swing district, you're, you are much more sensitive. If you're on the progressive, safe Democrat side, they're really not buying the idea that Joe Biden is in trouble. And I think that's an interesting divide, even within their own party. Yeah, absolutely. John Solomon, thank you so much for being with us uh, with all this big breaking news. You're the best. We love you. Thank you, John. Great to be with you. Thank you. Thank you, John. Thanks so much. And by the way, we could still have an action-packed uh, next few minutes here, John. We've got Paul Zuber talking about the exodus, some stunning numbers of the exodus from New York, and some news everybody needs to know about, about tap water in America. Some stunning details. We're going to be talking about that. Oh, wait a minute. There's exodus. There it is. John, I knew it. I knew you were going to. I could see the smile on your face. I knew it was I'm coming. I'm smiling. The people are leaving. I know. We're going to start crying. We need, we need a song to bring them back. Yeah, we do. What can we do to bring them back? John, what's our bring them back song? Come on back. Come oh, on. Okay, that's okay. Come we'll on down. Good. No, no, come on down. Let's go to Florida. Yeah. Selling orange right. juice. <laughs> I, call, uh, I talked to Governor Hochul this morning. We'll talk about it later. Oh, good. I can't wait to hear about that. That and a lot more. And the special edition of Cats and Cosby after the break. 
A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katz and Rita Cosby. Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back on this big special edition of Cats and Cosby. Bo Snurdly is off, and we are continuing here, of course, Rita Cosby with John Katsimatidis. And in studio, we have Judge Richard Weinberg, Ed Cox, and also the comedian of the group, former New York <laughs> Governor David Patterson, who keeps us all laughing. Well, this is nothing to laugh about. Sadly, the economy is moving out of the Northeast and going south. And, uh, John, we've got Paul Zuber on to talk about that. And, uh, what, what, you know, give us an update. What's going on? The last we know about it, the last 12 months, 484,000, uh, New Yorkers have moved, uh, and, uh, they took some of the taxes they were paying with them. What's going on? Yeah, well, you know, first of all, I, I hope to one day get on this show where I get to deliver happy news, uh, one of these days. So hopefully, hopefully one of these days I can talk about people going back into New York. But I, I, I think, you know, there have been recent um, recent uh, research that has shown that, you know, the exodus from New York uh, continues. Um, for the first time, the six fastest growing states in the South, that being Florida, Texas, Georgia, the Carolinas, and Tennessee, are contributing more to the national gross domestic product than the Northeast. Transplants from the Northeast have helped steer about $100 billion in new income to the Southeast. Um, since 2021, 2020, 2021. Um, so we're just bleeding people and we're bleeding revenue. And, you know, I think for the listeners, what has to be the concern uh, are on several fronts. At first, you know, the more, the more residents we lose, the more political power we, we lose. So we always run the risk of losing uh, congressional seats, which is a problem. We already have a, a jobs problem in New York. There's about 450,000 unfulfilled jobs in New York State. So now we're losing more residents, and it's becoming more and more difficult to fill these jobs, which means, A, it's becoming more difficult for businesses in New York to expand because there's less talent, and then, B, it becomes more difficult to attract businesses um, into New York State because the talent doesn't exist in New York. But most importantly, the tax revenue. The tax revenue has dipped precipitously in New York. It's down 20%. And as of right now, the projections are that there will be a $9 billion budget deficit next year um, in the state budget. And over the next three years, it's going to amount to about $36 billion. Wow. And that's 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 alarming. Um, hey, Paul, uh, you know, Governor yeah. Patterson wants to put in his two cents. Actually, does uh, the two cents help towards the 40 billion? <laughs> 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 it uh, eliminates part of it. <laughs> but I'll uh, throw in a nickel if you like. Right. OK, so we're at seven cents now. We're moving I'm for a dime. Uh, the point. <laughs> so uh, the problem, Paul, is that. The controller, Tom DiNapoli, has said publicly, particularly after the um, reports from April and May, that by the time they get to the budget process next year, the budget deficit would be $13.3 billion. Yeah. And and it's directly uh, about the taxes that have fallen off and the fact that the legislature is planning to tax even more. I guess until they drive everyone out of the state. Absolutely. And, you know, the big concern out there for us at the business council is, you know, the, the, the fear 
is what happens if we do hit a, a recession? What happens if we do hit a bump in the economic ro- road? How big does this budget deficit then get? Um, and that's a, that's a huge problem. And, and what scares me, Governor, is, you know, after this report came out from the comptroller and people started talking about what to do next, you heard from some groups, well, there's a simple solution, tax the rich. And, and I, I remember reading that and I was saying to myself, I don't understand what these people don't understand about what's going on in New York State. I, I don't understand that people don't realize that the world has changed. It's become much easier to do business from different places now. And you just can't make the assumption just because we're in New York, just because we're in New York City, that people are going to stay in the state. They're not. Can't, can't tax the, the rich when they're living in North Carolina. Well, they can't tax the rich when they're living in North Carolina. And that and, and, you know, it's funny because the same progressive groups that that will say tax the rich, what you're doing by bleeding people out is the the money that you have been able to get to fund some of the programs that that are so important to your constituency. They're going to potentially go up in smoke because there's not enough money to pay for them. And, and it's really it's really disturbing. It's really um, scary to see um, the, the route that, that New York is on. Uh, you know, we're, we're soon to be in, in worse shape than California if we keep it up. Yeah. And we haven't even gotten into all the other things like the energy program and some of the other, you know, unfriendly mandates that New York has put on business. Absolutely. Well, Paul Zuber, thank you so much for being here on such important. You got to come back on good news time too. Okay. We need some good news sometimes. We need it, Paul. I, yeah, I will. I, I played the lottery today. So when I win, I, I'll let you guys know. Actually, that's incorrect. I'm playing the lottery too. So I'm going to win. Excuse me. I only have my ticket. Is it Paul? Are, are they still playing the games up in Albany where business is the enemy of the people? Absolutely. Uh, enemy, enemy number one. Um, they just, they just. So if, they, a, if, a they, if, that, if all the yeah. if all the p- people move, the consumers move out, and then businesses move out. I understand. Uh, CVS is going to close more stores. Walgreens is closing stores. Rite Aid is closing stores. What are they going to have left? I, it's, it's. I don't know. And you know, it's uh, real quick. I know you got to go, but it's sad. I actually. Just got a call from from a legislator out in upstate New York who is a Democrat who has been pro-business. And he just informed me that because he's pro-business, the progressives have decided that they're going to take him out in the next election. Uh. And why? Because he supported business because he, he did the right thing and didn't support good cause of it. And yet they are small minority in even their own party, but they score well, in those low why turnout. Do this? This yeah. Let's declare war on a socialist. Okay, we have 51 out of 51 seats due this November. Let's declare war. I am declaring war, and we're and the common sense people will win. Bravo, bravo, Paul Zuber. Thank you very much for your insights. So much. It is so important. Wow. Thank you, Paul. Take care, Paul. Paul. And uh, joining us now, we've got Dr. Peter Mielos, uh, because there was a stunning report that just came out, John, a little bit ago. Half of America's tap water, especially a lot in the Northeast. Uh, well, guess what? It has some very severe toxins um, and could cause human illnesses like cancer and also obesity uh, leading to, I think they just said, 18 cancers. I mean, this is a big deal. Uh, our resident genius, Dr. Peter Mihalos. Take it away, Peter. Well, great to be with you guys. And you mentioned the lottery before. Every day you wake up healthy, you've won the lottery. 
That's and, right. Uh, today, today we're learning that 45% of the tap water in the United States has these things called forever chemicals, called PFAS. The fancy name is called polyfluorinated alkaline substances, and there's 12,000 different types, and they're found in things like the no-stick to-go food container boxes and the no-stick clothing and sprays that they have for couches and furniture and firefighting foams. And all these different chemicals are making their way into our soil in addition to those chemicals as everyone who takes, for example, birth control pills, antidepressants, and various medications. When they urinate, it goes into the septic system. It gets back into the aquifer eventually, and it's starting to catch up with us. And what's happening is that we're uh, finding out that we really that I have to start spending more uh, time putting in filters and paying more attention. And there are independent labs where you can have your water tested in your individual home, find out what's there and get the appropriate uh, filter to try to uh, help reduce uh, these chemicals because uh, all these plastics too, they even started uh, finding out, finding some microplastics in male human sperm, which is a, a big problem. And uh, the other thing that uh, you guys wanted to talk about was the studies that are coming out with obesity and cancer. And basically what we've talked about is the visceral fat, especially has a a mind of its own. That's the fat we get in our midsection and our belly when we're eating too much sugar. Sugar is toxic and then it stores it. Where does it store it? Right in that midsection. And that produces hormones and chemicals that affect our immune system and our ability to fight off um, uh, cancers and our visceral fat surrounds all the main organs in our body. We have 78 organs total in our body and a lot of them are sitting in our abdomen and pelvis and they don't like to be basically think of it as being smothered by uh, uh, fat fat tissue. So uh, we need to do what we can as Americans to change the way we live, change our diet, move more towards Mediterranean, more towards intermittent fasting and we really got to get away from processed food and sugars because sugars feed cancers. And now there's some new theories why people who have cancer lose weight and lose appetite because it's the body's protective medicine saying, do not feed the tumor, do not feed it a cancer. And there's a place out in the, the West Coast where they actually uh, star, uh, gave people diets and fasting and the tumor shrunk. Wow. wow. You always give us such great information, great Dr. Info. Peter. We love this. Thank you. You're Thank terrific. Thank you, Dr. Peter Michalos. And, um, we're going to take a break right now and go to the news, and we're going to come back with the regular Cats and Cosby show. Can't wait. And I want to hear about your conversation with Governor Hochul. Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for Common Sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby, standing for truth, justice, and the American way, bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Joining us now is 970 AM, The Answer to the continuation of Cats and Cosby, which started at 430 today. And in the studio, we have Judge Richard Weinberg, Ed Cox, and uh, Governor David Patterson. Uh, and Rita, I heard this. Any breaking news? Yeah, we've got some big breaking stuff. Breaking news. WABC. This just in, John and gang, uh, that now the White House cocaine, remember, that was found on Sunday, was found near the Situation Room. And an administration official cannot rule out that it's tied to Hunter Biden, uh, basically saying 
that it was found one floor below the Oval Office and as a Biden administration spokesperson declined to rule out the first son, who's had a history, of course, of drug use. The bag also found in a cubby located between a foyer and a lobby area near where some officials park, such as the vice presidential limo or other VIPs. This is interesting. So uh, this is, again, NBC News reporting uh, that it was found closer to the Situation Room, close to the Oval Office, and that when they asked a spokesperson, does this belong to Hunter Biden? We don't know whose it belongs to. They wouldn't rule it out. Ed Cox, you spent make a no, bit of time. They were, the story was, is that the official entrance to the West Wing, where the Marines are outside and all that, where they give the reporters, gather outside. And that makes no sense because you have to hand things to your the people there and they to the put Secret it away Service. for you. Here, please take my cocaine, please, for no, it doesn't it ha- make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. No, and it's very, what's very troubling is it, and I have no idea the truth of this or not, but if it happens to be Hunter Biden's cocaine, that would upset the plea bargain deal because one of the conditions of getting this diversion program is not being use, using cocaine or other absolutely right. that's a big deal right the judge hasn't ruled on it yet the judge yes. it still has to go the judge has to prove it right and, the, and by the way and the judge has enough reasons not to take this plea bargain deal in the first place yeah because of all, all the sweetheart all the, all the, questions all the sweetheart issues so now what do you think judge weinberg this is interesting if it again we don't know but if it turns out now it's getting and also you know what's interesting when they first came out they're like oh it's over here now you know where you found it why are they like kind of inching closer to the situation room inching because close for, to the Oval because Office. If it, because if there's a leak, they're really going to be embarrassed. Yeah, That's but why. but they've got a videotape. I mean, you've got to have surveillance. Ed Cox, you've been in the White House many times. Uh, they they have to know where. Look, they found it someplace, and they're moving that place around. Obviously, they're trying to hide something. Yeah, uh, Governor David Patterson, your reaction. This is stunning. I mean, every time it's like, what? Uh, eventually, what are they going to say? Well, we now know who it is. I'm just more and more surprised that when situations come up, that's why they have a situation room, that there isn't a, a, a desire to try to be as honest as possible about whatever happened. And that way you protect yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And John, this comes on the heels where, and again, we don't know whose Coke it is, but the fact that they kind of keep inching closer, you said, and we've seen Hunter Biden spending a lot of time with his father of late. He was at Camp David a couple times. Yeah, I was hoping that he gets cured one of these days. Yeah, right? absolutely. Absolutely. And look, we don't know whose it is, but I can no, bet it, they wouldn't know. It's a lot Come of on. sorrow for a father. It is. It is sad. It's very sad. The whole situation is, but what concerns me, John, is you can't have powdery substances coming into the White House, whoever left them there. Um, they had to evacuate it. They were worried it was anthrax or something. And I mean, you don't know what it is. It's a security uh, breach. Nobody, nobody searches the royal family. All <laughs> That's right. a good Let's way to say who it. do we have on? We've got Dan Henninger now, who is with the Wall Street Journal. And Dan, uh, first we'll get, I know I want to talk with you about Supreme Court, but your reaction to this news that now they're saying, well, maybe it was a little closer to the situation room, the cocaine. It's like, what was the game clue, you guys, where it's like uh, Mr. Green in the billiard room with a candlestick. We're like inching closer. Yeah, well, it's just so typical of this White House. Anytime the press sits there and tries to ask them a question about anything, Karine Saint-Pierre just sort of evades it. And, I mean, she gives no information whatsoever. Uh, why can't they just 
like you suggested, they must have a videotape. There's got to be a recording of the individual who is doing this. Uh, why just keep it hanging out there uh, with people surmising that it's Hunter Biden? If it's Hunter, uh, it is what it is. As John was suggesting, it's a tragedy, but it's also going to be a huge legal and political, would be a huge political problem for the president. But um, they aren't going to be able to hide from it. Get it behind them. Dan, it's, uh, it's Richard Weinberg. Welcome back. I want to ask you about your column today in, in the Wall Street Journal about the attack by certain fringe groups in the Democratic Party attacking the integrity of the Supreme Court as an institution. What are your thoughts on that? Well, my, my thought is that uh, they are clearly trying to delegitimize the uh, Supreme Court, the Roberts Court, because it's not going their way. Uh, you know, it's it's fascinating that the, the, the complaints by the progressives uh, in Congress, uh, whether it's Senator Merkley, uh, Senator Markey has a bill in to pack the court, expand it to 13 seats. Uh, Ro Khanna wants to put term limits on the judges. Uh, they're upset because the, this court isn't ruling the way they would like it. And they're also upset because Congress, the legislature, and indeed legislatures around the country, are unwilling to pass the progressive agenda. So what's their solution? A, it's to have a president like Joe Biden issuing executive orders like the student loan debt relief, which the court, Supreme Court, just found an unconstitutional exercise of executive power, saying that is the sort of money that needs to be appropriated by Congress. So now they're going to attack the Supreme Court and try to reshape it to essentially uh, put in place progressive policies that they can't get through the political system. It's really a, a pretty disgraceful reorganizing of uh, the structure of American government. Dan Edcox here. Are they trying to intimidate the Supreme Court by these attacks and push it like FDR, frankly, did and changed it? You know, stitch in time saves nine and they uh, actually had an impact. Is that what they're trying to do? Well, they clearly are trying to intimidate the court. I mean, those those parades and marches out in front of the justices' houses that went on for months and months, that was just awful. Against and the law, they were. <laughs> against the law, and uh, Justice Alito has uh, said that he has to travel with security now. And, uh, you know, the piece that Justice Alito wrote for us at the Wall Street Journal editorial page, uh, his response to the ProPublica article, uh, shows to me, at least, that uh, these justices are not going to be intimidated. And in fact, I should point out to you guys that at the end of the um, decision about the uh, debt forgiveness, Justice Roberts specifically raises this attempt to delegitimize the court and uh, even calls out some of his colleagues uh, for trying to call into question the court's integrity and uh, legitimacy. So, Which colleagues did that? Uh, huh? Which colleague did that? The group of three. Tell us Sotomayor. the group of three. And the American people should know. Who are they? Sotomayor, Kagan, and uh, Brown Jackson. Well, Justice Sotomayor raises a question, I believe, in the Harvard uh, dissent of uh, whether the, the court was putting its credibility on the line. Uh, in my mind, that's that sort of thing is unprecedented. You know, you can agree or disagree. You win some Supreme Court decisions, you lose some. 
But I've never heard of Supreme Court justices themselves raising the question of the court's uh, legitimacy or credibility. I think the conservative majority is going to stick because they're stripping the the recent decisions going way back, back to William O. Douglas's right to privacy, which was created out of numbers and emanations. And it was pure non-constitutional law. It's pure policy. Yeah, the penumbras and emanations for sure. And uh, that is one of the uh, good things about the cases that have come down in the past week or two is that the court has been so clear. That was what we're looking for from the Supreme Court is clarity. And they gave that on college admissions. They gave it that on uh, Biden's use of executive uh, power in the student loans and uh, indeed in that creative 303 decision on Colorado that an individual does have a right to their opinions no matter how far they are uh, towards and, and, uh, popular opinion. And then the, the polls show that the public supports those positions. That, that Not that that's important. I mean, they're deciding under the Constitution as a matter of law, but basically the public polls show they're supportive of those decisions. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, you you mentioned intimidation. In in terms of the general American political culture, there obviously has been an effort by the left, helped by the media, to intimidate people on a lot of these subjects. You're supposed to shut up and keep your head down and not say anything. Avert your eyes. What the court is saying, that everyone is entitled to their opinion. They should not be cowed into uh, stepping back. And uh, that that is just something that really, really needed to be said in American politics and legal life. And uh, it was uh, a very happy day last week when, when the Supreme Court did exactly that. Daniel, one last question. John Katsimatidis here. Yeah. Uh, we had a colleague uh, went on the radio and says, only 18% of the uh, American people su- support the Supreme Court decisions. Uh, you're a professional. You know uh, the Supreme Court better than anyone. What do you think the overall uh, number is, uh, uh, overall country? And then I'll ask uh, Judge uh, uh, Weinberg, and I'll ask uh, Ed Cox, and I'll ask uh, Governor Patterson. Well, a couple of quick things from my end on that. Uh, certainly the attacks on the court, uh, at least have driven down their numbers in opinion polls. It always says the, the belief in the court has always been historically high, and that can have that effect. But I'm going to quote someone you can find it kind of astonishing. Ask whether he we would should expand the seats on the court. Joe Biden in the last week said no, he did not think so because he said that would lead to the hyper politicalization of the court, and there would be no turning back. That was Joe Biden speaking for himself, finally, not for his staff, not for the progressives on Capitol Hill. And let's admit, President Biden on that one had it exactly right. Yes. Uh, Judge Weinberg, well, so what's your, is it 50-50, 40-60, 60-40? What do you think the number is? Daniel, what do you think? Oh, I think uh, it's probably, uh, I would say it's a, a a good majority of the American people agree with the, with the Supreme Court on most issues. They clearly disagreed them with them on the Dobbs issue. That was the abortion issue. But I think on uh, free speech, freedom of religion uh, and such, uh, using race as a criteria and admissions to college education, I would think a clear majority of the 
public agrees with the Supreme Court. Judge Weinberg? I, I agree with Dan. I think that's absolutely right. Basically, clear majority? I think a clear majority supports the Even with overruling of affirmative action in universities, California voted against that a long time ago. Uh, clearly, the public opinion is supporting the Supreme Court on all these issues. Uh, Governor Patterson? I was afraid after the 2020 election that the three justices appointed by President Trump were going to support uh, the actions by his campaign to overthrow the election. When they did not, and they voted 9 nothing, and, and that would was not appreciated by a lot of Americans, I really came to the point of view that this particular court is voting what they think the law provides and what their conscience tells them to do. And if we get into this situation, because I remember 50 years ago, a little later than that, when Justice Marshall was uh, appointed to the Supreme Court, he did have security because his life was threatened. So this has gone on back and forth. But I think for the overwhelming number of Americans, there are nine justices on the court. We trust them to make the decisions. And when we don't like the decisions, we either try to find legislation to change it or we just accept that that's going to be the law. Okay. What do you think, John? What do you think, I personally? Think it, I think it's uh, a little bit above 50%. Yeah, I do, too. I do, too. Yeah, that's why I come out, like 55-40. Yeah, 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 about 55-45. Well, if the, if the governor says because that, I might switch my number then. Said 18, <laughs> and I, I, one of our colleagues said 18, and I just, I said, I called him out on it. I said, I don't think any, anybody believes that. And, uh, yeah, I don't think so. I think the majority what do you of decisions. Think, Rita? I, I actually think, I think it's somewhere like 55, 45. I yeah. actually do. I think yeah. so. I mean, uh, the Supreme Court is a part of Washington. Yeah. I think people are down on Washington generally, but you take the issues one by one, and you're going to find the public yeah. is supporting them on their decisions. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Dan Henninger, thank you so much with the Wall Street Journal. You're terrific. Thanks for joining us, Dan. Thank you, Rita. Great to be with you guys. Thank you very much. And we have a lot more when we come back. I'm going to find out about John's conversation with the governor and a lot more on Katz and Cosby. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back. Uh, John, by the way, you got to fill us all in real quick on your conversation. I've been teasing this with Governor Hochul. No, it was a very good, good conversation. And, uh, uh, and uh, I told her that we're going to be declaring war on the city council fifty for, because there's 51 seats available, 51 out of 51. And she uh, says, good. Great. And, uh, you know, she hopes uh, uh, by the, if we make progress in the city council, it will help her with the state senate and help her with the state assembly. Wow. Very interesting conversation. That's awesome. Really awesome. And I mean, this, right now, the common sense Democrats fear the socialists. Well, maybe it's time that we're the socialists fear the common sense Democrats. Absolutely. You know, John, Absolutely. Is, you Go and ahead. I have talked about a couple of times, particularly on the Sunday interview. The socialists weren't really winning in a lot of those races, starting with AOC, not because there was a difference in ideology in the community. It was just that the people who were holding those seats were absentees, and it gave the insurgent, the socialist, whatever party they were, to say, hey, look, I'm here. Where's he or where's she? And that's how they won most of the seats they won. But remember, last year in the primaries, it was eight to one. The socialists lost. Now, we had on the phone before, uh, we had Paul Zuber, that one of the common sense Democrats, uh, there was an announcement about a socialist that's going to go after him upstate. Who was the guy? 
He didn't mention the name. Yeah, he didn't mention the name. He but it's like, the yeah, they're like causing war on the common sense one. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. John. They, they, what they do is they take one by one on common sense and put fear in their hearts. Yeah, it's so sad. It is so sad. Well, joining us now, we have attorney Andrew Pincus. Judge Weinberg, bring it in. Okay. Andy is one of the leading constitutional lawyers in the country. So argued over 30 cases in the Supreme Court of the United States. He's trying to get a case before the United States Supreme Court on the rent uh, regulatory system in New York State. If this case is uh, granted the right to go to the Supreme Court, it's a very big case. Andy, would you tell our listeners about this case and why it's so important? Sure, and thanks. It's great to be with you. Um, you know, this is about rent stabilization. And, and what it does, as you all know, is it singles out about half the rental apartments in New York, about a million, and says after the lease expires, the owner has virtually no ability to control the property, can't decide to use it for themselves or move in their families, their elderly parents, their children, change it to commercial rental, demolish it. The government has basically taken away the right of those people to to decide the use of their property. And second of all, in setting the rent levels, it makes those owners bear the cost of below market housing because it sets the rent not based on reasonable costs, which is the typical price control formula, but says you also, the Rent Guidelines Board also has to consider ability, the tenant's ability to pay. And as a result of that, over the last 20 years, the Rent Guidelines Board's own index of owner costs has increased twice as much as the permissible rent levels. And, and so, Andy, doesn't that distort the ability to provide housing and the, and the willingness of landlords to maintain their properties? Doesn't it totally distort the market? So as a matter of public policy, it's a bad idea. And it's also, as you point out, it's an unconstitutional taking of property. It is a matter of public policy because it means there isn't the money to keep these apartments up to snuff the way people want them. Uh, But it is also an unconstitutional taking. And we say both of those things, both of those aspects of the law are unconstitutional takings. You know, a couple of years ago, the Supreme Court decided a case uh, about Calif- a California law that said union organizers have to be allowed on a farm uh, to meet with workers uh, three hours a day, 120 days a year. And the court said government-authorized physical invasions are automatically takings. Well, obviously, these government-authorized invasions of rent-stabilized properties have to renew the lease, can't change the use, all of these restrictions uh, have to fall in the same category, and that's the claim we're making. Andy Edcox here. Doesn't this uh, result in a number of abandoned uh, pieces of rental property? Uh, and what happens to those uh, properties? Well, what ha- what's happened in a lot of situations, especially after the 2019 law that the legislature passed, which put really draconian limits on the ability of owners to recover costs. Once an apart- one of these apartments is vacant, which obviously happens usually after a very long tenancy, changes are needed to bring it, bring it up to code, to bring it up to the quality that an owner would want. Uh, but the 2019 law put drastic limitations on what the owner could recover uh, for investing those costs. So not surprisingly, you can't recover the costs. You're not going to invest the money. And that's resulted in a lot of apartments just not being on the market anymore, which, of course, is counterproductive to the whole system, which is 
New York needs more housing. So we, uh, right, we have an artificial housing shortage because of the rent controls. Is that right? Absolutely. Because what, one of the things we studied was to compare rent stabilized properties to non rent stabilized properties to say, to look at is the, how much of the zoning envelope, the permissible use of that piece of property uh, is used. And we found that for rent stabilized properties, it was 20% less. If that 20%, if those properties could be renovated or rebuilt, our study was 100,000 more units in New York. But of course, because of these required renewals and the inability of owners to say, you know what, we want to change the building. We want to renovate it. We want to demolish it or bring, create new units. You can't do but that. But we have to get new, uh, new people into New York. I mean, I'm trying to figure out on my fingers what happened to the 484,000 New Yorkers that moved out in the last 12 months. Where are those houses? Where are those apartments? Well, the, the deficit in housing available in New York is much, much greater than that. And, of course, those people may not have moved out of rent-stabilized uh, rent uh, buildings. You know, we've got a million apartments that are not rent-stabilized, that, that are market rate. Those owners aren't subject to any of these burdens. And then you have co-ops and condos and, and houses. Wow, very interesting. Well, thank you so much for joining us, uh, Andrew Pincus. Uh, terrific information and very important right now, sort of fitting with all the stuff that's happening with the economy. Thank Thanks you, for joining us. Thank you, Andy. Thank you. thank you. Thank you. And by the way, big developments happening um, overseas. Russian jets harassing U.S. drones. Also, uh, the U.S. Navy had to basically intercept some oil tankers. Um, in the Straits of Hormuz, which is where some because of the, the oil is moved. trying to seize those ships. Exactly. Things are getting very so provocative there. So more breaking there. news. More breaking news. So joining breaking us now WABC. on all of these big international developments is Lieutenant Colonel uh, Tony Schaefer, who is head, of course, of the London Center for Policy Research and also Project Sentinel. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer, what do you make of all these very aggressive actions coming from Russia and Iran? Well, I think part of this actually is coming, believe it or not, from the Blinken visit to China. One of the things that was disclosed in that visit by Blinken himself was an acknowledgement that Chinese companies that are supposedly not being controlled by Beijing are already helping Russia with lethal aid. Uh, you know, not officially, but they are. So then you look at the Albatross drones, which Iran is producing using Chinese technology. These Albatross drones, Rita, are suicide drones that the Russians are buying from Iran. So it's natural that the Iranians who know that the Biden administration wants them, the Iranians, to go back into the joint agreed-upon framework for the nuclear deal, they know they can get away with this. They know they can help the Russians. They know they can harass ships without fear of major retaliation. Yes, the U.S. Navy is going to do things to interdict because we have to. We have to keep the oil uh, lanes open. There's going to be virtually no consequence to the Iranians other than don't do that again. So they know this. It's all the pattern of weakness. Uh, Richard and I spoke briefly earlier today on a, a, a different topic. But uh, the, the fact is, and I think Richard and I touched upon this, the judge t- and I touched upon this, that there's a, as, there's a clear appearance of serial weakness that is, that is being demonstrated that no American, no matter what your political party, has to understand is not in the interest of the United States. And I think anybody who sees this for what it is recognizes the danger of weakness and exactly what you just said, Rita. Now they're buzzing our drones in, in uh, Syria. Uh, this is a, 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 a series of events that all 
uh, go back to the single point of failure in our national security policy, which is Joe Biden. And Tony, it's, it's Richard Weinberg. My, hey, Richard. my problem is simply this. I see no change in the worldview of the Biden administration. They have an obsession with negotiation. All they want to do is talk. They don't care about the results. The other side strings them along, makes them promises, gives them winks. Nothing happens except it gets worse. So what do we do about that? Well, see, this is we have to change the entire framework of how we approach this. And you hit the nail on the head, Judge. Uh, We have a system which is designed right now by the Bidens to be to, to do something called measures of performance. They established the performance standards, which is simply engaging and talking is, is what the, that's, they've checked the block. They don't care about the results. We have to go to a system that requires measures of effectiveness. Do your actions result in some definitive objective that helps our, our, our policies? There's a disconnect. There's a fundamental disconnect that has, has established itself because there's no link to performance and effects. They, uh, to, to your point, uh, Judge Tony Blinken felt that his visit to to to, uh, to uh, Beijing was completely successful. He said so because the dialogue continues. And they by and by the way, up. Tony also uh, Ed Cox also was talking to the Secretary of State Tony Blinken. Yeah, well, that's the Council of Foreign Relations that I asked him the last question of his meeting at the Council, <laughs> and it was about the relationship Russia and China. They say it's solid relationship. It's not. How can it evolve? And it was a chance for him to go to a vision of of how we might impact that relationship, which we could break apart fairly easily. And in the end, he started talking about how the how China can be helpful in negotiations to end the war in Ukraine, which was just the wrong way to go. Went down <laughs> into the negotiations rather than up and look, we got a broader vision of what we can do here uh, in Ukraine to impact that relationship. And uh, well, Governor that, David Patterson has a question, too. Uh, I was yeah. just going to suggest, uh, Your Honor, that if he did that, if the president did that, then if China uh, goes in and attacks someplace that very close to them, which we all know might happen, he'll probably say that Russia can help us negotiate with China. Well, I mean, this Russia, doesn't make any sense. Who's negotiating on our behalf with the Iranians, by the way? <laughs> Boy, what a scary, what a scary premise. <laughs> they believe premise. in negotiation. Leave it to the State Department. They're going to negotiate. There's no vision in the White House, and only the vision in the White House can really drive a good foreign policy. At Tony, last word. Go ahead. So, look, we have to recognize that across the board we're showing weakness. It's now creeping into our economic policies. Venezuela and Pakistan are both buying oil uh, and goods from a, a variety of countries uh, uh, Pakistan's buying oil from Russia using the yuan, the, the, the Chinese currency. Venezuela just made a payment to the world to the World Bank on one of their loans in Chinese money. If we continue to show weakness, the very foundation of the Western order that we've established since World War II is going to crumble. And the Biden administration, uh, for I, I hate to say this to all of you, uh, immensely honorable people, the Biden administration will literally do things to dismantle. The amazing uh, beacon of hope the United States has been to the entire world if we're not careful. Wow, scary yeah, and, stuff. And, that, and don't forget, the world is willing to lend the United States of America $31 trillion. Now, yep. if we lose the world currency, you could take that $31 trillion and burn it. Yes, sir. Wow, scary stuff. Well, Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer, thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate on this big international news. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. And uh, coming up, we are talking to great political consultant Hank Scheinkoff, 
also Steve Moore and Miranda Devine, John. Boy, she has a bombshell. That story in the New York Post today was absolutely extraordinary. Huge exclusive that may open up the floodgates in the Biden administration. She's going to be joining us later on in this hour. So stay with us, everybody. You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. And lots of big news here in New York and well beyond. And joining us now is the great political guru, Hank Scheinkoff, president of Scheinkoff Communications. Uh, and of course, uh, just legendary clients have included, uh, President Clinton, Mayor Mike Bloomberg, and many, many more, John. President Clinton, I understand today was at the Vatican, uh, uh, with the Pope. Oh, how beautiful. Wow. How lucky him. Lucky him. How beautiful. How's he doing, by the way, John? He's doing look good. Good. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Well, Hank, um, talking about politics and especially presidential politics, your thoughts on RFK? Why not? Listen, he's, uh, he's, um, he could lead a near revolutionary change in the country's political structure if he gets any traction. Uh, young people are completely, uh, unhappy. They don't probably, and at least the Democrats, they're not crazy about uh, a continuation of the Biden years simply because of Biden's age. They uh, don't have much to say or much to do with Kamala Harris, who has not acquitted herself well by any measure in, in that present job she has. And they, uh, it's their moment to shine. It's, their, it's, it's about to become their world, and uh, they want to have more control in it. You know, um, Hank, did you see, um, it was Carl Rove who actually has been kind of all over the place lately. Um, and of course he was like the right hand guy to George W. Bush mm-hmm. and the, and the Bush senior too as well. But he came out and basically said that it's time, sort of some of the same message you're saying that it's time for a new generation that both sides sort of feel like they want somebody new and fresh. Um, is that why RFK is appealing or is it sort of this, this renegade willing to take on the Democrats? What do you think? Or it's just talks? an anti-Biden thing. Is this, is he to Biden what McCarthy, Gene McCarthy was to Johnson? Just a I, I stalking that, horse for other people? It's possible that he's a stalking horse. I mean, Gene McCarthy's people really believe they could get the nomination. An RFK, uh, senior, may he rest in peace. Um, you know, until he was gunned down in that, that kitchen in Los Angeles was really contender to take that nomination. Oh, my father-in-law was worried about it. He saw Bobby Kennedy as a real threat in 68. Well, Bobby, Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy could have been the Democratic nominee, unquestionably. He had the elements of the Democratic Party that were in, in, uh, in the process of uh, taking more control and more power. And the same rule might apply here. I mean, we have, we have a very quickly changing demographic in this country that's... Uh, exacerbated you know, feelings of social class uh, distinctions. Um, we're not a European descendant country anymore. People are panicking about it. Younger people have been involved in watching the George Floyd, uh, George Floyd issue. They believe change is required, whether they're right or wrong. They've, most of them never served the country in any way, shape or form, nor their localities. They've not been cops or soldiers or paid a price for this extraordinary lifestyle that we've lived since the end of the Second World War, which, uh, as previously noted on your program, could all become unhinged if the American American dollar is not no longer the world's currency. Bretton Woods and what happened in Normandy might just as well never have happened if that's the case. That's how dangerous this is. But young people don't understand that. They've not had those experiences. They haven't paid a price. So why should they worry? 
they're not worried. And that's part of the problem. You know, it's so troubling, um, Hank Scheinkoff, just as you said, uh, that there's this disconnect with young people. There was a poll um, that came out. It was on Fourth of July, just about how young people don't have that sort of sense of attachment and pride in America um, that other generations did. And, and we we got to instill it again. You know, I mean, there's a lot of problems out there, but we're still, I, I firmly believe, the greatest country. And we got to get them galvanized to feel invested in the country. Now, uh, uh, then, yeah, God, I'm sorry. It's uh, David Patterson, Hank. How are you? Thank God. Doing great. Go. The, the thing is that half the positions that Bobby Kennedy is taking that he's campaigning on right now, where he'd probably be more uh, comfortable in the right wing of the Republican Party as opposed to the Democratic Party. And I don't see how young Democrats are going to be interested in what he's actually saying right now. Well, you know, look, that's what campaigns are for. Good polling will probably get him to shift some of his positioning, um, likely so. Ads can change perceptions. Um, campaigning and coverage by the by the um, by free media, earned media, can change perceptions. I mean, this is not a foregone conclusion. Do I think he'd be competitive if he can do some of those things? The answer is why not? Are there young people who really don't care about anything but, but age? You bet. And this sense of um, the sense that the political system, as I've said in this program before, both parties are in very serious trouble. You can see by how they're, they're structured or not structured and how they're falling apart in many ways. Well, uh, I, I think if the, if the election was today uh, between uh, Biden and RFK, it'd be right now probably 60-40 or maybe 65-35. I think that's reasonable. And the fact that they're 35 tells you something off the top. And where are we? We're in July. They want an alternative. The election. Yes. They want, they an, want alternative. an alternative. And same thing in the Republican Party. I mean, that Trump number remains fairly static. All the alternatives are unfortunately, or the al- entire alternative is broken up by individual candidacies. But there's a desire for change and for generational shift. And for, frankly, some change in the economic system in either side of the aisle. It's very serious. And uh, this, this is, if it, we don't have these kind of change agents at least providing taking some steam out of the political system. We're going to have an explosion, which is what happens in most political systems throughout the world. Yeah, Hank, thank you very much. Uh, The great political consultant, Hank uh, Hank Scheinkoff, we love you, Hank. Thank you so much. And, you know, John, yesterday on the show, we were talking about uh, Ben and Jerry's, um, who made that crazy comment. Here it is. Unilever Unilever owns Ben and Jerry's, and I understand the price of the stock went down, and it's Ben and Jerry's cost Unilever possibly as much as two and a half billion dollars already. Wow! And with us today is one of the country's leading economists. Uh, we have Steve Moore. Steve uh, Moore, what what do you know about Unilever, Ben and Jerry's, and Anheuser Busch? They're, they're down twenty seven <laughs> billion. Uh, yeah. Give us give us a report. Hi, John. Hi, Rita. Good to be with you guys. You know, what what this is really showing, and by the way, you're right, the the latest uh, numbers on Anheuser-Busch, they are down by by about over $20 billion uh, of market. More money, by the way, than was uh, stolen uh, by Bernie Madoff. (laughs) Wow. That's an incredible (laughs) amount of loss. That this company is lost, and it, and then you got you see what's happening with the uh, with uh, targeting with uh, with uh, you know Kohl's that are putting you know LGBTQ flags on you know baby toddler clothing and things. People are just sick of it, and it shows. I think John that corporate America is out of touch with middle class America. 
Well, more the, more the common sense, you know, we use the word common sense in this studio. Yeah, the common right. sense Americans, whether they're Democrats or Republicans, I think are saying enough is enough. Right. People are fed up with it. And it is too much. And, you know, the latest thing is, you know, Mark Levin, who is, you know, one of the most popular radio show hosts in America, other than Rita, you and John. Uh, and, you know, they're not going <laughs> to Target says they're not going to put Mark Levin's book on the shelves. But they're going to put all this left wing. They're not stuff going to on put it show. on Target stores. I heard. Oh, that's crazy! The Target stock has gone down. Uh, what, Ten billion, twenty billion. That is yeah, crazy. I mean, it's unbelievable. They just don't learn any lessons. This you said the word so right. Uh, it's the phrase common sense, and you just don't get common sense policies out of Washington, and you're not seeing it out of corporate America. But I have to tell you, a lot of these companies though are now saying, you know, they're believe me, John, as you know, they're paying attention to what's happened to to Anheuser-Busch's stock, and they're trying to say, no, no, we're down the middle. We're not, you know, we're not, we don't get involved in politics. So I think there's a big backlash, and the question is wh- whether these corporate CEOs in the corporate boardrooms will catch up with America, with where America is. And I've got to say one other quick thing. I heard you talking about young people and patriotism. You know, I was just so heartbroken, Rita, to see that Fox News poll that only 39% of Americans are very proud of calling themselves themselves an American. And the numbers are worse for young people. We're not teaching our young people the greatness of this country, John. I agree. And, and and then we have these people who are like out there trashing it, like some of these comments yep. from Ben and Jerry and uh, who's a Cory Bush way, congresswoman. Hold on. I didn't hear what the Ben and Jerry comment was. What OK, was so that? they tweeted out on July 4th, um, basically yep. saying um, that the U.S. is existing on stolen indigenous land. And oh, they suggested returning Mount Rushmore. Um, <laughs> Does that mean, do we get more than $24? Do we get more than $24 from the Indians from Manhattan? <laughs> well, I mean, that, that is offensive. And people, you know, and I have to say, I love Ben and Jerry's ice cream, but you know what? Next time I go to the grocery store, I'm not buying it. Buy Honda's. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm not buying that chunky monkey anymore. <laughs> well, thank you, Steve Moore. Thanks, thank Steve. you for your comments. And let's go to a break. And when we come back, we're going to have. We have a blockbuster. We've got Miranda Devine. She's got a big exclusive in the Hunter Biden investigation. It is a bombshell. That's coming up. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katz and Rita Cosby. Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back here on Katz and Cosby. And boy, this is an enormous exclusive, a bombshell. Joining us is the great New York Post columnist, Miranda Devine. Miranda, your story about this former Israeli army officer uh, basically laying out his bribery allegations against the president's family. Uh, take it away because he was kind of this missing witness and now he's been found. Ex- explain it. Hi, Rita. Yes. Look, Gal Luft, who's an Israeli professor who worked with the same Chinese business people uh, in Washington, D.C., that Hunter Biden and his uncle Jim Biden were getting paid. They were the ones who paid them millions of dollars. So Gal Luft was arrested in Cyprus on FARA violations, foreign lobbyist violations, and also uh, gun running charges. Um, he says that he's innocent. He skipped bail. And he's on the run and he's produced this 14-minute video recording, which he gave to us exclusively. 
Um, he's, look, he's a former Israeli army officer. Um, he had deep ties to uh, intel- the intelligence community in Washington, D.C. He ran a think tank, uh, which had as advisors some pretty highfalutin people, like former CIA director James Woolsey. Um, he's uh, regarded as a credible person by people I've asked uh, in Washington about him. And he says that he's been set up to stop him from spilling the beans about what he knows or what he says he knows about allegations of bribery against the Biden family. And he says he was arrested to stop him testifying to the House Oversight Committee, which, of course, the Republicans are now in charge of. Wow, this is like a James Clancy novel almost, you know? It is. It's a good movie. Miranda, two questions. Why didn't he just come back to the United States, in his view, and contest these charges? Why did he jump bail? And is he afraid for his life? Very good question from uh, our legal brethren. Um, of course, look, he claims that if he came back to the United States, uh, uh, complied with this extradition order, that he would get, he just has no faith that he would get a fair trial in uh, New York. He says that he already gave the, this evidence of, of Biden bribery alleged uh, to um, people from the Southern District of New York, two prosecutors and four FBI agents in a proper meeting in Brussels in March 2019, which I've seen evidence of uh, that it happened. Uh, but he alleges that it was covered up and that, uh, that, that also that another one of the Chinese benefactors of the Bidens, who he also worked with, Patrick Ho, who was uh, arrested back in 2017. And uh, at his trial, he was forbidden by um, the prosecutors from um, mentioning uh, the Biden name, and that was agreed to by the judge. So um, what Gal Lupp says is that he won't be able to bring out any of this um, exculpatory information relating to the Bidens because these same prosecutors won't allow him to. So, look, I mean, it remains to be seen um, whether, you know, he has a legitimate, whether he's a legitimate person telling a legitimate story. But um, certainly he was going to testify, I've verified that with James Comer in the Oversight Committee, and they may yet still hear from him. And there's another interesting point that you made in, in your article today, which is he's alleging that there was a mole in the FBI that was tipping off Chinese intelligence. Could you talk about that? Yes, he says that he was told by his Chinese business partners who were also in partnership with the Bidens that um, Hunter Biden had a mole in the FBI whose nickname was One Eye who gave uh, classified information to the Chinese uh, business people from CFC uh, and part of that was allowing um, them to evade prosecution. They were told that there was a file, you know, a, a, an investigation into them. And so one of them did manage to escape. The other one didn't. Wow, this is explosive. Um, we're talking to Miranda Devine, New York Post columnist, on her big exclusive. Now, he gave you what? It was like a 14-minute recording. Um, did he lay out any of the evidence of also the sort of, you know, the pay-for-play schemes or any of that stuff? Did he lay out any of those details or has he in the past? He doesn't have, you know, bank statements or bank records or anything. Um, he just has, um, I guess, his knowledge of, um, of of what occurred, but a lot of it is corroborated um, by other evidence. For instance, he told me before Gary Shapley, the IRS whistleblower, testified uh, to say the same thing, um, Gal Luft told me that there had been a meeting at the Four Seasons Hotel uh, in Washington, D.C., 
um, with, between Joe Biden, um, his son Hunter, and officials from this Chinese energy company, CEFC. Now, that was after Joe Biden uh, left office. He was the former vice president uh, just recently at that point. Um, and so I didn't publish that because he was vague on the date. And I thought it's such a bombshell publication that without corroboration, I couldn't publish it. But then Gary Shapley, the IRS whistleblower, uh, produced as one of his exhibits a transcript from the FBI interview with uh, Rob Walker, who's another Biden family associate who had this $1 million flowing through his bank account um, from China that he parceled out to at least three Biden family members. We know that from testimony before Congress. And uh, in that FBI interview, Rob Walker said that, yes, um, that Joe Biden had met with these CFC people at the Four Seasons in Washington, D.C. after he left office uh, in about 2017, um, maybe late 2016, and um, that Rob Walker was there present at that meeting. So um, I think, you know, Gal Luft, the information that he's been giving me, um, has been uh, a, a lot of it has been corroborated, but some of it it's just allegations. Yeah, so, I mean he alleges that money was flowing through to Hunter and Jim Biden. We know that's true uh, from CFC, this Chinese company, because James Comer has the bank records, um, and and we already saw that on the laptop. But um, you know it's corroborated in all different ways. Tony Bobulinski also corroborates. So I think you have to look at this Biden family investigation as a giant jigsaw puzzle. And we still have a lot of gaps in it. Um, the laptop filled in a lot of gaps. Tony Bobolinsky filled in others. Um, the suspicious activity report, some others. The Johnson Grasley investigation back in 2020 is more jigsaw pieces. And now James Comer and these other Republican uh, control uh, uh, committees are providing more. Ryan, Ed, Ed Cox here. Isn't the, you take a look at it, step back. A lot of money coming from China, from uh, from uh, Moscow, Ukraine, uh, coming into the Biden family. And then you look at Joe Biden's lifestyle, his houses, and he's been nothing but a senator ever since 1972. Where did the money come from? Isn't it obvious? I mean, you say it's jigsaw puzzle, but anyone stepping back and taking a look at it knows what was going on. Yeah, I mean, that's the irony that Joe Biden, part of his mythology is that he's, you know, modest Joe, the poorest man in Congress, working class Joe, lunch pal Joe, and yet he lives like a billionaire. You know, exactly. he lives in mansions. He he dresses like great, you know, the great Gatsby. Um, he has a grace and favor lifestyle and so does his entire family. Um, a lot of that is favors from donors. Uh, and so, uh, look, you know, where there's smoke, maybe there's fire. Yeah, absolutely. And he continues to say he's never met the business partners. And now you have a and number he knows of people. Nothing about, knows he knows nothing. nothing about the business. Yeah. And he gets mad, too. Like now reporters have been asking him. Finally, some other reporters are asking him. And he's like, no, no. You know, he's he is like furious to get asked the question. No, I'm just, I think the American people just want the truth. Absolutely. One thousand percent. Well, Miranda, this is a bombshell. Thank you very, very much. Keep us posted. It's always great to have you on, Miranda Devine. And- Thank you so much. Thank you, Marin. And what do we all stand for? Truth, Truth, justice, justice, and and the American way. way. God bless America.